I ask you to open in your Bibles with me this morning to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 as we continue our verse-by-verse exposition of this instructional book to the church in a time of crisis. And uh, as you're turning there, I just want to mention that last song, I Can Only Imagine. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie that recently came out, but a phenomenal movie. I just watched it this last week. Um, blew me away. We are actually working on right now um, trying to set up a movie night so that we can share it with the church. So if you haven't seen it, um, be waiting for that announcement for when we're going to be having that. So um, come and join us and uh, enjoy that with us. So as I said, uh, First Peter, Peter's writing to a church in the midst of suffering. They're being persecuted by the Roman Empire. And uh, I think a lot of times when we think of persecution, we don't necessarily think about um, the necessity of obedience. We kind of, you know, we think people are having a hard time, and we know in our own lives when we have a hard time that we kind of just, we, we give other people a pass on, uh, on, on doing things that God says, well, we know we're having a hard time. It's not, you know, we can't expect too much of them because they're going through a difficult time right now. And uh, sometimes when we have difficulty in our life, we do the same thing. We say, well, you know what, I'll, I'll get back in church just as soon as things calm down, and, and, I'll, and I'll get back to doing what God wants me to do just as soon as, as life is a little easier to handle, and uh, I get a hold of things. And uh, the, the amazing thing about Scripture is that Peter writes to a people that are suffering very intense persecution, and the thing that he continues to emphasize to the church over and over and over again is obedience to the Word of God. He says, listen, God has saved you for a purpose. God has a plan and a purpose for your life in salvation, in Christ. He has a desire to work in you and through you for the glory of his name. And so so he calls us and he encourages us to obedience, recognizing that the blessing of God follows the obedience of the believer. God's blessing follows us as believers. So guess what? If we're, if we're suffering, if we're in the midst of difficulty, and we're in the midst of hardship, how do we overcome that? So, so many times we think we're going to overcome that on our own. No, we overcome that by the grace of God. We overcome that by His blessing. And how do we obtain to the blessings of God? Through obedience to His Word. And as we look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-12, through 12, and this is a message we began last week, Speaking of the purpose of blessing, we see that purpose being being brought out before us and and encouraging us to obey the word of the Lord in order that we might attain to the blessings related to our salvation. If you're ready for God's word this morning, would you say amen? Amen. I'd like to ask you to stand with me in in reverence to the reading of God's most perfect and holy word. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. 
but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Gracious Father in heaven, we ask only that your spirit would enlighten our minds and allow us to receive your instruction that we might be more like Christ for receiving your word this day. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be seated. So last week we began with verses 8 and 9 and we talked about the parameters of the blessing, understanding and, and really driving home the point that obedience is necessary to receive the blessings of God. Recognizing that disobedience also puts us in a place of forfeiting the blessings of God. But understanding this also, when we talk about blessing and and we need to understand, you know, a lot of times the first thing we think about when we think about blessing we th- is we think about material things. We think about God's blessings as being, as being um, you know, financial and, and homes and clothing and family. And, and we think about it in the material world. We think about it as temporal things. When the greatest blessing that God will ever, listen, the greatest blessing that God will ever give to us, the greatest blessing that we will ever receive from his hand is the blessing of salvation. It is, it, is, it is the blessing of the recognition that we were helpless and hopeless and God redeemed us through the blood of his son. And so that is the greatest blessing that we will ever receive. But that's not the blessing that Peter's talking about when he talks about inheriting a blessing because he's talking about something that is still yet future. He's talking about something that is yet to come. We, we have salvation in Christ now if we have faith, if we have believed in him. We have salvation, not in its fullest sense. There's aspects of our salvation which are yet to come. But the inheritance of the blessing is something that is yet future and is something that that God has purposed for us as his children as he desires to, and remember this word blessing means to speak well of, right? That's the, the basic meaning of the word. We get our English word eulogy from the Greek that makes up this word blessing. So, God's blessing towards us is he gives us things in order, not because we're good, but because he's good. Amen? Amen. God, because God is good, he wants to exalt his name. But when we, when we look at this, and we talked about some different ways in which God blesses us in the realm of salvation and all of those things, but something caught my attention as I was studying this week and going back through this, and, and something caught my attention in the text, back up there in verse 9, when he says, he says, He says, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. And we we spent spent a lot of time talking about all the various blessings that Peter could be referring to, but but yet Peter doesn't speak in the plural blessings. He speaks of a blessing that is is ours to come. Now, there are many blessings that God has promised us and, and many other passages in Scripture which speak of the blessings of salvation and those things which God has promised to us as his children, things, things like his, his comfort in sorrow, right? His, his presence in difficulty, his, his wisdom in, for life. You know, those are all blessings. The, the opportunity to win people to Christ by, by sharing the gospel, his power working through us, those are all amazing blessings that God's word refers to. But what Peter's talking about here, he says, he says we're called for the purpose that we might inherit a blessing. Well, what is he talking about? Well, you look back, he's just told us not to give insult for insult and evil for evil, but to give a blessing because we've been called for this purpose that we might inherit a blessing. So you have to look at what's the context of the blessing that we're to give. That is, we're to speak well toward people. We're to do good towards people. So 
when you think about it, there's a blessing that awaits us in eternity, right? When we see Christ face to face, in which we, in which he recognizes us for our obedience to him. We see it in the words of Jesus when he's giving the, the parable of the servants, and he speaks of that when the master returns, and he calls his servants and those that were obedient, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And I, and I really, I believe that's the primary thing that Peter's speaking to here, is the blessing that God is going to give to us for a life well that both fits the context of Peter's encouragement to obedience. It also speaks of the, the inheritance that we talked about last week that is, that is ours in Christ, which is guaranteed for us. The, 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 this blessing is, is related to our salvation, but it is not our salvation. It is the reality of a life well-lived in which we are recognized by our Heavenly Father for having lived a life pleasing in His sight, having lived a life that magnifies the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that is what he has saved us to. He has saved us for the purpose that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. That when we come face to face with the Lord, that we will be transformed and that we will be like Christ. 1 John 3, 2 says it this way. It says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. I can't wait. I want to be like Jesus, not just in eternity, but now. And how do we become like him? By obedience to his word, by doing what he says. This is the purpose for which he has saved us. Romans eight twenty nine tells us this, it says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined, listen, to become conformed to the image of his Son. We are saved for the purpose of being made like Christ. No wonder Peter spends so much time in this word as he's encouraging the, the believers that are suffering this persecution. And he says, listen, I understand it's hard when you're suffering to do the things that God's called you to do. But God is, but your eternity is secure in him. You are his he, you, are, you have a glorious inheritance in heaven waiting for you, but you're not there yet. And as long as you're here, I've got a purpose and a plan for your life. I've got, I've got things for you to do in order that I might be glorified through you and in you and to you. And so, so God's word through Peter to us is, is that we would live for the glory of Christ, to be like him that we might inherit a blessing. I so look forward to that time. So Peter begins in verses 8 and 9, and this is what we talked about, the parameters of the blessing, and he says, listen, these are the characteristics that you ought to pursue. And then, he's, then he starts off in verse number 10, talking about the promise of the blessing. He says, for the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Now I call this the promise of blessing because Peter's, Peter's argument for giving the instruction that he has and, and for supporting what he said about inheriting a blessing 
comes from the Old Testament Scriptures. If you notice that, the very first word in verse number 10 is for. He's saying, because of this reality which is written in Scripture, I've given you this instruction. Because this is what God has said. And, and it shows us the consistency of God's Word. This isn't something new to us in the New Testament. This isn't a new way that God is working, that He provides blessing for those who are obedient to Him. Peter says, listen, I'm, I'm encouraging you to be obedient. I'm encouraging you to follow God's Word. I'm enturing, encouraging you to reflect the character of Christ in all that you do because this is what God has always expected. And he quotes from Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16, and that verses 10 through 12 in, in uh, 1 Peter 3 are the, are the, is a quote from that passage. And so he makes that point and he says, listen, this is the reason, because God's Word has said these things about the blessing that you've been purposed for. He has told us that if you desire life to love and see good days, that there's some things you must do. And he gives us three things that we must do in order to obtain that blessing. And I like the way that he talks about, about the blessing because here in verse number 10, he talks about the blessing as, as something that we enjoy now. Right? And we talked a little bit about that last week. It's something that we enjoy now. If we desire to see or if we desire, excuse me, desire life to love and see good days. Your translation may say, who desires to love life and see good days, or something to that effect. But the, the word order isn't as important as, as the primary message of the text, which is that there are good things that we desire. There's, we desire a good life. Anybody here that doesn't desire to have a good life? Right? I, I, I listened to John MacArthur preach on, on this passage uh, several weeks ago, and, uh, and he talks about the, the, just how we, we just assume that everybody wants a good life, right? I mean, you, you go out in the public and you talk to people and you say, you know what, have a good day. You, you ever object to someone telling you to have a good day? You ever think, no, I don't want to have no good day. You, have a good, you don't have a good day. I mean, we, don't, we, just, we just assume that that's a good thing. That's what everybody wants, right? We want to have a good day. We've, we think, and we know that other people want to have a good day, and so... You know, we, we tell them those things because our desire is to see good things. And so, so, and this is the, but there's a difference for us as Christians than there is just for the, the general world around us. You know, a lot of people think that, that Christianity tends to take away the things that allow us to have a good life. We think, man, God's just a killjoy. He just doesn't want me to have any fun. He just doesn't want me to do the things that, that I want to do. And, uh, and how can you have a good life and follow God at the same time? Because they've defined the good life as certain things that they want and not the things that God wants. And what they fail to realize is that the, the best life that we can have is a life that is lived in obedience to God because God wants what's best for us as any good parent wants what's best for his children. I mean, if you think about this, when you're, when you're at home, and if you've had kids, you've probably had this experience, you're, you're at home and you're cooking dinner, and you're trying to get things ready, and your kids come in and they want to play in the kitchen, and they want to mess with the knobs on the stove, and, and they want to do things, do you let them do it? I mean, they really want to. They want to put their hands on the burner, and they want to touch the stuff on the stove, and they want to change the knobs. I mean, that, that's what they really want. But you don't let them do it. Why? Because one, you know it's harmful to them. You're trying to do something that's good for them but they can't understand it in the moment because all they can think about is what they want. It's the same way with us and God. All we can think about is what we want. All we can think about is, is but, but God, I want this, and I know what's best for me, and God says, no, 
if you knew what was best for you, you'd let me do what I wanted. And so, so that, that's the idea here when we think about the good life is understanding that, you know what, if we follow God, he's going to give us what's best for us in every circumstance in order that we might exalt and glorify his holy name. This is the desire that, that Peter speaks of in here. The, the desire to love life and to see good days. To experience the fullness of God's blessing in this life as we look forward to the life to come. But you know what? There's some obstacles to us obtaining that reality, that blessing, as we look forward to that one blessing in the future and we keep our eyes on the blessings that are, that are ours now, right? The blessings of, of this life. There's obstacles to that. And those obstacles, well, let's just say it's, it's us. We are the greatest obstacle to, to receiving and enjoying the blessings of God because we have a tendency to do things that God doesn't like, right? I mean, anybody ever say something that you regret? Right? I mean, that's just, I mean, that's just a, a given, right? I mean, we, we all do that. We all have a tendency to speak at times when we ought to be silent, right? And that's really the first thing that, that in this text that Peter quotes from Psalm 34, it, it's the issue of controlling our mouth, right? I, actually, I almost had to rewrite the whole sermon and just make it about just, you know, controlling our tongues because there's so much here and there's so much in Scripture that speak about it. But look there in verse 10, he says, The one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Keep your tongue from evil. I think sometimes we don't go far enough in recognizing the damage that we do with our mouth. We say, I made a mistake. We make excuses. You know, I was angry. I was frustrated. You know, we might even apologize while at the same time justifying why we did it. And yet, the Bible says that when we speak in a way that is, that is offensive and hurtful, that we're, we're speaking evil. We don't like to think about that. We don't like to think about that we're the, we're the ones that do evil. But he, he only tells us not only that we speak evil, he says, but we do evil. I mean, later on in the passage, he says, he says excuse me, the, that we are to turn away from evil and do good. And that the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Well, what is evil? Evil is anything that displeases God. That's what's evil. Okay? Now, that, that may sound kind of harsh to our ears, and we don't like to think about it that way, but that's what God says. He says, listen, if you do stuff that I don't like, that's evil. You do stuff that I do like and I do say, and that's righteousness. And so that's just some good definitions to live by and to interpret Scripture by so that we understand what's being talked about. Those things which are displeasing to God are evil. Those things which are pleasing to God, righteousness. So Peter's already given us all these instructions in, in, verses, in verses 8 and 9. And then, and then as he quotes from scriptures, he quotes from the Psalms, he's just reinforcing the reality that we have a responsibility as believers in Christ to live in a way that honors God so that we might receive the blessing that he has purposed for us but recognizing in, within that promise is this reality that we are the ones who most often get in the way of doing what God wants to do in our lives because we do things our way rather than God's way. And, and one of the biggest things is the way 
that we speak, when we are angry, when we're frustrated, when we struggle. And I think, I, think it's, I think it's amazing that God understands us so well that he's written so much in Scripture about the need to control our tongues. So that if we, if we spent as much time in Scripture as we ought to, we would, we would have that, that instruction over and over and over again to control our mouths. James chapter 3, verse 2 it says this. It says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. You know what that means? It means that uh, if you can control your tongue, there's, there's nothing that you can't control in your life. But he also goes on in that, in that passage in James 3, he describes the tongue as a world of iniquity which defiles the entire body, is set on fire by hell, and cannot be tamed. He calls it a restless evil and full of deadly poison. And he goes on in verse number 8, he says, this is, no man can tame the tongue. We're, we're commanded to tame the tongue. We're commanded to, to not speak evil. But Scripture also tells us that we can't, not on our own. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit are we able to control that which controls us most of the time. So our mouths can cause us more trouble than just about anything else. And it says it in two ways. It says, first, speaking evil and speaking deceit. And so um, we talked about speaking evil. Deceit, of course, is, is lying. But more than just lying, it's lying for the purpose of uh, lying for the purpose of, of doing what's best for you, trying, trying to do, um, sometimes it's, it's uh, misrepresenting yourself in a situation that will make you look better, sometimes it's just encouraging somebody else's misunderstanding of a situation that might make you look better. Um, those, those are things that are deceitful. But I was, as I was studying through this and thinking about all the things that Scripture tells us about, about watching our tongues and the things that we speak and the things that we say, and I'm reminded you know what, Peter, Peter didn't have the internet when he wrote this. And so we need to remember that when we're talking about watching our tongues, the things that we say are not only the things that we physically say, they're also the things we write, the things we put in emails, the things we say on social media. Those things are just and can be just as damaging as the spoken word. There's not really any difference. If it comes from us, and it's heard by somebody, whether they're reading it or whether they're hearing it, then it has the power to do great damage. And we need to be reminded of that reality. In Ephesians 4.29, the scripture tells us, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. This is the principle that ought to guide our speech, that ought to help us to know when to speak and what to speak. And we need, we need to be careful about that. And I think it would be, it would be beneficial for, for every one of us. And this is, this is a, a scripture verse that I've been working on memorizing for a while, and, and, and it's really short, and I still don't have it completely. But uh, Psalm 141.3. And this is, this is just a prayer. It says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. We so desperately need to remember that prayer of the psalmist that we would keep our mouth from speaking evil and speaking deceit because the Lord knows. Listen, he knows our hearts 
and he, and, he under, and he hears everything that comes from us, and there's nothing that we say and there's nothing that we do that is not in his purview, is not under his watch. As we walk with Christ and mature in our faith, the Lord will continue to instruct us and to help us to grow in faith. And that's really what this, this, this Peter speaks from Psalm 34. Listen, he says, keep your, you must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceit. You must turn away from evil and do good. What he gives us here is it's a, really a picture of repentance. This is, that is what to, to repent. Uh, when John the Baptist came on the scene, he began to preach repentance and faith. Repentance toward sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus came on the scene, his first message had to do with repent and believe. I mean, that's, just, that's, that's the message. The message throughout Scripture is that one of repentance, turning away from evil and turning toward Christ. As, and as, we, as I said, as we mature in the faith, the Lord continually brings us to this reality. We tend to think of repentance as something we do at salvation, and we do. We repent when we get saved. We repent of our sins, we put our trust in Christ, and we're saved. But repentance isn't just something that we do just once. Repentance is the lifestyle of the Christian, because as we walk with Christ, he's going to continue to show us areas in our life in which we are not meeting his expectations. As we study his word, as we listen to sermons, as we fellowship with other believers, he's going to continue to reveal things to us that we're not doing that he wants us to do, or things that we are doing that he doesn't want us to do. I remember uh, uh, years ago, before I was called to ministry, but um, thought I was doing good, didn't, didn't, didn't realize um, or didn't recognize any you know, outward sin in my life, thought I had you know, things under control, thought I was, I was doing good, went to a Bible study at the church we were attending at the time, and we were studying the book of James, and, uh, and we get to this passage in, in James, chapter, James chapter 4, and uh, in James chapter 4 and verse 17, and this, isn't, this won't be up on the screen, but in James chapter 4 verse 17, it says something to the effect of that he who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And I remember just thinking, oh my word, how many times have I known to do something that was right and good and beneficial to somebody else or, or in a certain, and then I just didn't do it? And the Bible says that's sin. That, that's, that's offensive to God. Just, just to, and so this, you come back to this thought. How can anybody walk in righteousness? How can anybody be pleasing in God's sight? Because every time you turn around, God's just exposing your heart to some other reality in your life in which you've fallen short. But here's the beauty in that. The greater that we recognize our sin the greater we recognize the grace of God. The, 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 more we, the more we see just how far away from God we really were, the more precious and beautiful His grace becomes. And so that's, I think that's why He does it. I think that's why He continues to, to convict us, to lead us into a lifestyle of repentance. If, if you've walked with Christ for a while and you've experienced this, you know that there, there are things that the Lord will convict you of today that... A few years ago, you wouldn't have even considered an issue. And the Lord will convict you, and he'll show you something, and you're going, Lord, thank you. 
thank you for revealing this to me, and, and thank you for grace. You know, it, it helps me understand a little bit better what Paul was um, saying to Timothy in 1 Timothy when he calls himself the chief of sinners. And you think, Paul? Really? I mean, this guy? I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he'd, been, he'd been forgiven. He'd been ministering for years. And, and yeah, he had done some bad stuff in the past, but, but he'd, been, he'd been serving the Lord and planting churches and spreading the gospel and, and writing scripture. And, and yet, as Paul gives instruction to his young pastor friend, he, he identifies himself as the chief of sinners. Because the more you know about Christ, the more you recognize just how far away you were from him and just what he had to do to draw you near. And it's a beautiful thing. And it, and it just speaks and testifies of the greatness of his glory. The greatness of his glory. So he tells us, turn away from evil and do good. And then he gives us a third instruction. He just says, you must seek peace and pursue it. We're to be peacemakers, right? I mean, isn't that the, the testimony of of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. In uh, Matthew 5, 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And in, in, uh, in, in Romans 12, 18, Paul says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. We are, we are called to peace. Well, where does peace come from? Peace comes from God. So, when we, when we gain peace with God through Jesus Christ, then we are able to establish peace between us as we bring others to Christ also. And in Christ, peace comes. So we must seek peace. We must pursue peace in order that we might be pleasing in the sight of the Lord. And then here's that, that word again in verse number 12 pops up again, that word for. It's, a, it's an explanatory word. It's a, it's a word that says, because of this. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Here we see the source of God's blessings to us. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Wow. If we're going to enjoy life, if we're going to see good days, if we're going to experience love, we need to know the Lord. We need to know that, that blessing comes from Him as we obey His Word. And our obedience, our obedience, again, we're not, we're not earning salvation. This is not an instruction to those who have not experienced the grace of God. This is instruction for those who are walking with Christ, who have known the glory of regeneration. Okay, those who have been saved and washed in the blood. This is, this is instruction for them. This is not instruction saying, listen, you need to do these things or you're going to hell. That is not, that is not the purpose of these passages. These passages were written to believers in order that they might pursue holiness and represent Christ. And so when, we're, when you're listening to these instructions, understand, no matter how hard you go after these things, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, no matter how well you try to attain these things on your own, you will never be pleasing to God. You cannot be. 
Only through Christ can you be pleasing to God. So this instruction is for, is for believers, for us as his children, to desire good and to do the things which are pleasing to him because he knows not, e- not only everything that we do and everything that we say, but he knows our very hearts. He sees into our soul. He knows our motivations. He knows those things. And, and he has given us as his children a great privilege of representing him to the world. To demonstrate that we know that he is a faithful father, that he is a sovereign Lord, and that he always does what is best for us. He desires our good. That's what it means for his eyes to be toward us. It means he's looking out for us. He's looking out to give us what's best and to do what's best for us. His ears attend to our prayers. God delights in the prayers of the righteous. He loves to hear his children calling out to him. He loves to hear his children recognizing their need for him. And he delights to respond to the prayers of his children to the glory of his name. That doesn't mean that he always gives us what we ask for, but he always hears us. And he always answers in accordance with his perfect will. And he always does what will bring him the most glory in every situation. So he sees us, he knows us, his ears attend to their prayer. And it's interesting here, I think, that this, this quote comes in at this point because Peter has just finished speaking back in verse number 7, just finished speaking to husbands about honoring their wives and, and, and submitting to the responsibilities that God has given them, recognizing that to disobey is to hinder your prayers. And then he comes back, and as he's quoting verse 34, he references prayers again. He says, speaking of the righteous, that the Lord attends to the prayers of the righteous. Our prayers are hindered when we disobey. But when we walk in obedience, we can have the assurance that the Lord hears us and delights to hear from us. But then he, he closes with a warning. As we speak of the, the source of blessing, the Lord knows all. He, he blesses the obedient, but he also recognizes unrighteousness those things which bring God's displeasure against us. Not just the forfeiture of blessing, but the discipline of the Lord against those who are disobedient. And utter an eternal judgment toward those who reject Him. I think primarily Peter is, Peter is dealing with those who know the truth. And so I don't, I don't think he's speaking primarily of eternal judgment, but I don't think that we can just gloss over that either. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That is, whether we as his children are messing up, he's going to discipline, he's going to correct, he's going to to work in our lives to help us recognize that, but also to those who have rejected his sovereignty, who have rejected his lordship, they're also going to answer to him for that. His face is against them. To live pleasing to the Lord and honor him in life, we must live lives of repentance. So that we will be conformed to Christ and receive his blessing. So he tells us, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know, sometimes I think when we read passages of scripture like that, we have a tendency to oversimplify 
the, the uh, parallels there overall with life. And uh, because we think, well, I mean, it, it's pretty simple. It's a pretty simple axiom. The Lord, you know, if you're, if you're righteous, the Lord blesses you. And if you're not, well, you're going to suffer, right? I mean, that's the sim- simplistic way to look at it. And there's, there's an element of truth in that. I mean, you go back and you read the book of Job. I mean, that's the whole book of Job is, is premised on, on that understanding that Job and his friends had about who God was and how God worked. And, and, uh, and, if, you were, and if you received material blessings, then God was for you. And if you didn't, then God was against you. And, uh, but that's a, I think the whole point of the book of Job is to show us that that's, that's an oversimplification of the way God works. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've been studying through Job again just recently and, and uh, reading the arguments of, of Job's friends, you know, his counselors that are such a <laughs> comfort to Job. Not really, they're not. They're, they just, they vex Job's soul. But the things that they say, they, they are, they're, there's, there's truth in what they say. I mean, they, they explain God and, and his, his blessing towards the righteous and, and his displeasure with the unrighteous. But where they fall short is in their application. Because there are some things that they just don't understand. And I think sometimes we, we tend to oversimplify these things. And when we see things in life that don't make sense to us, and we see suffering, and we see hardship, and we see people that do bad things, and they seem to be blessed in their wickedness. And we wonder, where's God, and how's, how's he working all of this out? And I just don't understand how he can, how he can let so-and-so, um, you know, have all that they have and enjoy all these things when, they're, when they just, everything they do is wicked. And, uh, and I was reminded of uh, avoiding that kind of simplistic view of God's blessing um, from Psalm 73. Because before I, before I get to that passage, I just want um, to say, you know, we, like I said, we tend to simplify these things or oversimplify them. And then we struggle both when the wicked prosper and when the righteous suffer. You know, what, what, what do we say when bad things happen to good people? Or what do we say when bad things happen to God's people? I mean, how do we justify that? But I think, you go back and read Job and it helps answer that question. There's, there's things that belong to God that we're not, that we just don't know. There's things that, uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. There's certain things that God has revealed to us and there's some things that he hasn't. But I was reminded in Psalm 73 of avoiding such a simplistic view of the way God works. In Psalm 73, in verses 2 and 3, he says, But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You notice the psalmist recognizes that there, he sees these things and he's struggling with it, but he says, And I almost slipped in the way that I dealt with it. You go on into verses 16 and following. It says, when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. See, when we think about life and and we can... We can say, and I can say with assurance to you this morning, that God's blessing does follow our obedience. 
but it doesn't always look like we think it ought to look. He never says that we won't suffer. He never says that we won't have problems, that we won't have difficulty. But as we obey him, he promises to be with us and to work in us and through us through those things. Those are God's blessings. We don't have the right to tell God what he owes us. So we submit to him and we trust him. My hope and desire is that we, everyone here this morning, everyone listening, has experienced the joy of what it means to know Christ and to receive his forgiveness and his salvation. That you've received the spirit of Christ to teach and guide you. And that the longing of your heart is to receive the inheritance which he has promised to us. That you would recognize that he has called you for the purpose of inheriting a blessing and it would be your greatest desire to hear those words coming from Jesus when you see him face to face. Well done, good and faithful servant. That should be the heartbeat of every believer. I'm not saying that we're always there, that, 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 that that's the primary thought in our mind at every moment. It's not mine. I get distracted by things. We all do. But my desire in serving Christ is to please him so that when I see him, I might hear those words. I fear that I may not at times. Does it ever concern you what Christ is going to say to you when you see him face to face? It ought to. We won't forfeit. If you know Christ and you've been cleansed by his blood, you have been guaranteed a place in heaven. You won't forfeit that reality, but you may forfeit the blessing. You may forfeit the blessing. We've looked at the parameters of that blessing and the promise of that blessing through this text. And my desire is that we would recognize the reality of, of what it means to follow Christ in salvation, to pursue obedience, to do those things. My fear is that there's some, there's some that are here this morning, there's some that are, that are listening, that they've been deceived into believing that they, they have a relationship with Christ by something that they've done. Listen, we, we do a lot of things in, in response to the Lord's calling on our life. We pray prayers. We get baptized. We come to church. We, we do Bible studies. But if you're trusting in those things to save you, then you're, you're trusting your faith are in the wrong place. It's nothing that you do that makes you acceptable before God. It's only what Christ has done. And we need to be careful that we're not being deceived. We can never be good enough. Only Christ was ever good enough. Which is why we can only have life through Him. In this life, you'll be tempted to do things which are self-serving and pride-protecting. Those are the things which God has called evil. But through Christ, He forgives us. He has called us for the purpose that we might 
carry a blessing. God has expectations of us all. Those expectations remind us that we are fallen and that he is gracious. So as we consider this morning the purpose of God's children in inheriting a blessing that honors our obedience and glorifies his name, there's just one question to ask yourself. Will you inherit a blessing? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your love and for the truth of your word. I thank you, Lord, for how you continue to work in and through us as we listen to the the word that you have given us in Scripture and you challenge us in our own understanding, in our own acceptance and in our obedience to you. And Father, my prayer is that for your saints, for those that have been cleansed, that they would be challenged, Lord, as you have challenged me, that they would be challenged to live in a way that reflects your character each and every day, that they would wake up in the morning surrendering themselves to you, the giver and sustainer of life that they would offer themselves as a living sacrifice to be holy and honoring to you, which is our reasonable worship. And Lord, for those that don't know you, for those that they've, they've been pretending, they've, they've, been, they've thought they've understood what it means, and they've, but they've been trying to earn their, your favor by their actions, Lord, I pray that you would help them to recognize their need of utter surrender to you. That they might enjoy the glory of salvation through Jesus Christ and experience your power at work through them. And Father, we pray that in all things you magnify your love grace to us, that we may be conformed to the image of Christ, and that we might continue to worship you and glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' most precious name we pray, amen. I want to ask you to stand.